Thank you for tuning in to the Design Podcast. My name is Dustin Mater, and I am a visual artist. I've always been inspired by the creative muse and seeing where it comes from in other people and other artists. In tonight's episode, we'll be speaking with the multi-talented artist, Josh Hinton. Thank you for coming in tonight, Josh. Hey, happy to be here. Um, I'll just start right off with our questions. Okay. Who are you, and what do you do? Well, um, in Chickasaw, they call me Lokosh, which means gourd. Um, I don't know. What do I do? Uh, my my straight job is in uh, Chickasaw language revitalization. I spend lots of time with our elders um, learning Chickasaw and teaching Chickasaw, and we have a merry band of crazy people who do the same work, um, you know, that I do, full-time and part-time folks. And then on the uh, on the creative side, um, I don't know, I've been kind of struggling, like I don't know if I, if I call myself an artist or if I'm a maker or, I don't know, something in between, but... Um, I would definitely consider you an artist. You you have stuff represented in galleries. You have stuff that's all over the nation. Yeah. I I, I mean you're in that touring exhibit. Yeah, uh, that's true. We, that um, Dustin and I, you you probably already talked about this on the podcast. A little bit. But a little the bit. Visual Voices is opening soon. I think June seventh in Norman, um, and then it'll tour around. But um, I don't know. I mean, as a kid, I did lots of lots of painting and drawing and and I actually studied like um, landscape painting with an artist in Taos, New Mexico and then when I entered undergraduate um, I really tried to push myself to explore um, traditional content areas like landscape, um, waterfowl art, still life, portraiture but to do it in an interesting visually compelling way. So like you know what's a, a stereotypical kind of like Texas blue bonnet, white-tailed deer landscape painting? Which, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. People find that compelling, but it didn't move me like intellectually. So, I did a series of like eight-foot-tall um, charcoal drawings of deer. Oh, wow! So it was it was uh, visually compelling and a, a way to to represent or represent um, traditional Western subject matters but in a way that I thought was compelling so I really struggled throughout undergrad because you know as an artist you want to find like not only your sort of visual style like what do I what does it look like like what does my hand look like we have really very little control over that in many cases but like what's my content and growing up outside of Chickasaw Nation and I'm not a phenotypical Indian person I don't know, it's just, I thought it was weird and I felt like a poser and so I didn't really engage with my tribal identity in my visual work until I moved to New Mexico. And I had met some other Chickasaw folks that weren't my relatives, which was new. <laughs> I met a bunch of other tribal artists, Navajos and Hopis and Zunis and Apaches and um, some Cherokee folks, all sorts of different kind of people. Um, and I thought, you know, you know what, this is like, this is, uh, my identity like you know I've always 
known that I was a Chickasaw and, and why am I sort of leaving that out? Why am I ghettoizing this and keeping it out of my visual production? Yeah. So kind of like you, I was really inspired by the visual vocabulary of Mississippi and shell engravings. Yeah. So I started doing that kind of work, real simple line stuff, and then I started incorporating um, kind of abstract, um, abstract expressionism kind of backgrounds, and then putting line drawings in the foreground and so forth. Um, so f I don't know, maybe since two thousand three or two thousand four, I've largely produced tribal imagery um, for my own enjoyment for commissions for books and stuff like that just different projects and then um, I'm a bit I'm an avid hunter so I recently started um, like carving my own decoys uh, wooden decoys which is not really a tradition in our tribe but you know the the Paiutes did it there's a guy named Charles Sumner Bunn who was a Shinnecock decoy maker and so I've drawn a lot of inspiration from them as well as um, decoy making friends of mine who live on the coast uh, North Carolina well, I think you're making some new traditions you know yeah. we're, we're, an evol we're an evolving uh, people oh, right. and we're not stuck beholden to the past I mean even yeah. in antiquity the uh, shell carvings they would still have contemporary figures of their day from sure. chunky athletes to circus performers to right. uh, uh, people who hold high who hold high office yeah. um, they were dipping uh, uh, from the contemporary as well but using the the techniques that they gained right. of their history. Um, and you've really kind of, you know, dipped into the next question is, what inspires you? You know, for me, um, because of my work in language, a, a lot of the visual production um, relates to tribal oral history tradition. Like, I'm not, it's not so much that I'm an illustrator, I wouldn't call myself an illustrator, but in many cases, the things that I'm producing uh, go are inspired by or go back to a story um, from our oral history. They're called Shikonoba, which is just possum tales. So I do lots of stuff like that. Um, of course, I'm I'm inspired um, by the world around me, the natural world. You know, I'm a big hunter, and I'm always outside and and uh, exploring. Like I recently did some landscape work my wife really wanted some things for her house so I painted these really big like four 48 by 60 paintings of uh, some areas where I like to hunt and I did a, I even did a painting of these ducks landing in a slough so I thought well this is different this is n different for me like kind of new like I haven't done landscape in a long time but I'm still as a Chickasaw person painting landscapes in Chickasaw Nation they're titled in Chickasaw, so it's not it's not quite the same as my Shikunopa work, but um, it's just a different sort of expression. Absolutely. Well, that's so. what that's why I said that you you know you were a multi talented artist. To quantify you as just one uh, uh, aspect would be limiting to what you do. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really struggling with like how to how to encompass everything that I am just in one instance like on my website like I recently put you know you go to lokosh.com l-o-k-o-s-h and it says lokosh and it says maker because I just make stuff I mean I yeah. all sorts of different stuff I don't know it might sound kind of bougie or silly or like hipster 
smart. I'm way too smart for my own good, but I just couldn't come up with something better. Yeah. Artist is cool, but I don't know. I just kind of like make makers cool too. Um, and well, since my recent production in, in decoys, I mean, they're artistic, but they're also functional. I yeah, mean, like, it's, it's functional art, and it's, yeah. I guess it kind of carries over for antiquity again, right. because everything they had had to be functional along yeah. with aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, totally. Uh, and in, in the case of sort of uh, utilitarian or, um, I don't know, what's a good example? Like kind of practical arts, it's not the right way to say it, but like a pair of ball sticks. Like when you see a good pair of ball sticks, they're beautiful. Um, because they're functional. Yeah. If you create an ugly pair, they'll break, they'll snap, they'll do whatever. Um, so there's a certain kind of, there's a fair line that has to happen when I'm making decoys in the same way that, um, like my color choices, my proportions, the way I lay out images on a canvas, like they have to, they have to be rightly placed in order for it to hum. Ducks don't really care. Mm -hmm. But for me, I mean, you can hunt ducks over a, a Clorox bottle painted black, but I want to be able to look out and say, like, I made a thing, it looks like a duck, but it's not just a copy of nature. I made it something more. Yeah. Um, that's what really um, is so inspiring to me about the decoys that are made in southern Virginia and particularly on the North Carolina coast. They have this really sweet kind of art deco feel to them. They're not fussy, they don't look like real ducks, they look like decoys, but the ducks don't care. They still come in and die <laughs> readily. It almost sounds like uh, what I've heard about uh, turkeys, where the male turkey, as long as it's got a, a like a female-shaped head, that's all that matters. They'll still try getting it on, even with the decoy, if there's just a stick with a head on it. Yeah. They'll, they'll oh, tear yeah. into it. Uh, it's yeah. funny. They're non-discriminate. <laughs> no, they don't care. Or if they see that fan, you know, I can hold out a, a fan from a turkey that I shot, and they see that movement and that sort of shape and the iridescence, they'll come in and try to fight. So you could literally be hiding behind this turkey fan and then you just pop out and shoot one. Ah. Because they're, you know, that's their job is to, to whoop up on other turkeys and make babies with the lady turkeys. So, um, what anyway. are, have you heard some of those stories of, um, I heard some old Mississippian stories I read about um, how turkeys killing man. And like that was like a common motif of like wild turkeys that would be tremendously aggressive and they would kill men. Um, there's a creek story, and I believe there is a, a Bloxy story relating to uh, turkey killing man. I could, I mean, I could see it like you get an older bird, particularly in areas where it's not real rocky, the soil's not real rocky. Those spurs can get inch and a half, two inches, you know, and I, I mean, I guess theoretically they get after you, but I just, I mean, I assume our ancestors were really taken with sort of like the potential for violence and these yeah. really sharp things. I mean, even if you, you shoot one and you walk up on one, you got to be real careful to, you know, to put your foot over its neck because if they start flopping and catch you with those spurs, um, they can really inflict some damage. The oh. one Chickasaw story I know about Turkey is just how, um, you know, he got that sort of beard that sticks out of, oh, okay. his, out of his chest. Um, don't you have like a, a, a like a hair comb or something with the, with that turkey beard or something along those lines? Don't you make a piece of regalia with it? Oh yeah, you can you can make um, the roaches. Oh, okay, not not just the stomp dance style roaches, which are circular and sit at the back of of a cowboy hat, for example. But um, the, in the east, they also make um, full size roaches that sit on the crown of your head. Yeah, um, yeah. using the 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 beard from a turkey oh, wow. rather than porcupine or, or deer. It seems to be real prominent. 
in my experience anyway, yeah. with kind of the northeastern tribes like the Narragansetts and the Mashpee Wampanoags, and, and I've seen some Cherokee guys that have um, turkey beards too. But I've also seen like Pawnee and Ponca examples, so I don't, I don't know. What are you doing to be a good ancestor? Now it can be mm. for the tribe, it could be for your family, it could be for humanity as a whole. Like, well, what are you doing? You know, I, 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 the, the question emanates from my grandmother Caroline and mm-hmm. my mother herself, where they both asked me to, you know, remind myself, what am I doing today to be a good ancestor? What yeah. little work today is going to build to something great later? Well, I think, um, if anything, directly with my children. You know, I want them to understand that, you know, in my belief system, like, we're born once, you get one shot. Your responsibility to your fellow man is to love them. And then also I think our responsibility is to, like, go big or go home. Yeah. Now, other belief systems would disagree, and that's fine. That's not why we're here to to talk about that sort of thing. But I'm just saying, like, boys, you get one shot. Yeah. Like... Not at the expense of others, but you need to go after whatever it is, you know, that that makes you happy. You know, like go big or go home. So whatever it is that I'm doing, like the next meal or my next hunt or whatever my painting is or how I love my wife or how I, you know, uh, want the best for my boys. I just try to to work hard yeah. to do that thing that makes me happy. It's It's easier when you think about being a good ancestor or when I think about legacy the kind of work that we get to do the publications Rosetta Stone Chickasaw the visual um, things that I'm leaving behind um, my my writings and that kind of stuff like I'll have you know I'll have things that maybe people will remember me by um, so I, I mean I don't know I, I'd like I'd like to think that what my great 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 grandkid can look at one of the books that I wrote and realized that, you know, granddad like really cared about his people and he cared about language and he felt like this was such an integral thing to being Chickasaw that he gave, you know, his much of his professional and personal life to it. Or they can look at, you know, my visual production and say, man, grandpa, like he was, he really loved his life. He really wanted to make beautiful stuff, made him happy. I know it's kind of meandering, but um, no, not at all. I just feel like you know if you if you're if you love people, um, you show that you care about them. Um, you express your sort of God-given creativity. I mean, who who couldn't be well remembered? Yeah. Not that we're perfect or anything, but um, you know, I don't know. It's like a refinement. You're just trying to make it better and. The next generation makes it better and better and better. Yeah, I mean, what else do we want for our for our children but to be better ancestors than we were? You know, like yeah. whatever it is that you're doing, your music, your visual production. You know, my kid wants to be a pastor. You know, um, I just want them to to go hard. Yeah, to to do whatever they can um, to have good, happy, productive lives. And for me, that looks like taking care of my kids taking care of my old lady, making a bunch of stuff, eating a bunch of stuff, spending a lot of time outdoors, um, helping people access their language too. Uh, I don't know. I think there's a, a, a component. Simple life. 
Not at all. It, it, it's uh, you're finding your bliss here and now, yeah. and uh, you know I think that kind of also speaks to the uh, maybe a, a an ethos in in native culture in that we embrace the fact that we're only here but a brief moment in time. Yeah. And we try to in our philosophy of thinking of the next seven generations or being a good ancestor, if you will. Right. That it is, um, you know, we're we're. We recognize that we're temporarily here and that we try to make it better. Um, I keep on going back to that Greek saying of great societies are ones where old men plant trees. They'll know they'll never see grow. Yeah. And I, I really That's like that. Yeah, I like that. And I, I like that kind of um, yeah. philosophy. And I, it, for me, I know it fuels me um, to grind harder and to make yeah. more. Um, whether it be more time with my kids, yeah. wife, or um, you know, family, and, or you know, just the art, I always feel like a calling, like the sirens that I have to commit yeah. to. I I don't um, I'm not artistic in the sense that I've ne- I don't really have what people would consider to be an artistic temperament. Um, I don't have like flights of fancy. I don't really like get struck by like these these. I don't know, almost spiritual movements inside where like I have to create this image. For me, it's it's more, it's strange to say, but it's almost more like a right brain kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like I have a story that I find compelling and how do I represent it visually? Yeah. You know, I want to, I want to make a new decoy that references um, a, something that I thought was really beautiful, but I want to make it my own. Um, so I'm sort of analytical in, in that kind of approach. In the same way, I guess, that I approach my life. I mean, whether we're coming at it from my um, Chickasaw side or whether we're coming from my faith tradition, which is Christianity, um, getting back you know, to our limited amount of time on earth. Like you can see our ancestors, many of whom didn't live very long, yeah. but they accomplished a great deal yeah. in spite of incredible odds. And, of course, James reminds us that, like, well, what is your life? You're only here for a brief moment, and then yeah. you're gone. So if I'm living my brief moment right now, um, I just want to do my level best all the way around. Yeah, I, and I, I really feel it shows. It really shows. Well, I guess that we'll go into the next question. Sure. Is, what are you working towards? As an artist, um, I know that you, you say that you don't have flights of fancy, but you do. <laughs> kind have, of don't. But, but, yeah. but you have a very analytical, um, and sometimes even in that element do you see your subconscious and like a nuanced thing that you only see after the fact that you make it and you're like oh I, I kind of notice a pattern here mm. um, no, no I understand what you're saying um, so do you do you, what are you working towards or what do you think you're working towards I guess that would be a better way of asking that well so if I think of just on the surface of that question right like well what am I what is my work right now kind of leading toward so like I just I finished a rig of twelve gunners uh, that just means decoys that you're intent to shoot over they're not to look at, and then um, I saw other examples of decoys that I thought were really beautiful and compelling. They kind of grabbed me, and I said, "Well, how can I learn? How can I learn how to make that? Like, how did? How can I figure out what that artist was doing?" So I've been doing these little teeny ones that are about. Um, for the listeners, they're about five inches by maybe two and a half inches tall, maybe three inches wide. So I'm able to examine old decoys and then figure out um, through the process of miniaturization, I can be efficient, but also figure out how that artist accomplished that. So this summer in July, I'm exhibiting, um, well, I'm really more demonstrating, but I'm demonstrating decoy making at the National Museum of the American Indian. 
So in this case, what I'm working towards now is um, creating a fully carved, hollow, uh, eastern white cedar decoy. Oh, wow. Well, this one's a little different because it's based on that um, wood duck serpent hybrid bowl from Moundville. Oh, yes, I know exactly. So what I'm doing is, uh, in, in how, what I feel now is that I'm doing is continuing this sort of Chickasaw way where uh, our ancestors were struck by something compelling. They took it in, they assimilated it, they recreated it in a way that made it Chickasaw. Yeah. So in the same way, my two, my two teachers, um, Jerry Talton and then Chase Luker, they're North, Coast guy, North, uh, North Carolina coastal guys, and you know, 100, 200 years ago, there were, there were people living there, Indian folks and white folks, but around the turn of the century, these, these guys came down from New York and they brought all these decoys with them, including from Maryland. And so the North, the North Carolina guys said, well, that's really cool, and they developed their own tradition. Um, so there's a very distinct look. So now I'm looking at North Carolina, but I'm a Chickasaw living in Oklahoma, and I wanna do something that's not only like uh, respective of my influences on the decoy side, but also something that's respective of my influences on the Chickasaw side, and moreover, like other Indian makers. So what I'm hoping to come up with is a working decoy that incorporates all these influences into something that's uniquely Chickasaw decoy. I don't really know what that's going to be right now, but I'm, I'm working on my plans. Right on. As far as the, the painting and stuff, um, I'm not really, I don't have any commissions right now. Um, I have some ideas for work, um, but since I finished those two big ones, I'm just kind of setting them aside. I got to finish my dissertation too. I can't forget <laughs> that. Yeah. So. Um, is there something you want to discuss on projects you're working on or something you're working towards? I know you mentioned that you were going to be doing something at a, at the Smithsonian in D.C. Yeah. Um, yeah. this summer, but um, is there something that you're working on that you want to share with our audience tonight? Well, let's see. Other than that wood duck, um, I am in a, in a process sense, I'm thinking about how to effectively demonstrate carving while at the same time like talking to the, the folks that come in my little demo area yeah and how to connect it you know how to how to bring them from those ancestral Paiute decoys that were made 2,000 years ago to Charles Sumner Bunn who was a Shinnecock guy working you know around the turn of the century and then how to connect it to Chickasaw all at the same time like being able to keep maintain my focus. Yeah, I mean, I'm, you've done live paints and yes, stuff, right? Yes, uh, live carvings. In fact, uh, yeah. next week I'll be in Santa or in Albuquerque doing a live demo um, shell carving, but I'll be using gourd. So you think about that, right? It really does. Even in a, in a compared to shell, right? The relatively forgiving medium of gourd, you still want to you got to maintain a certain kind of focus. Mm -hmm. And I'm relatively new to to the decoy carving anyway, so I'm I'm like trying to figure out like what do I need to prep. You know, uh, what do I need to have? How many done? Am I going to paint one there? How am I going to take questions when I'm trying to carve this head? How to not slip and cut my hand in the middle of the museum? Oh, yeah. You know, stuff <laughs> like that. So Yeah. I think a lot of that, you just got to let go and just act like they're not even there. And uh, like, I know as artists, we sometimes will be thinking so deeply that sometimes we even start talking to ourselves in a sense. Yeah. And that's how we got to approach it is yeah. like while we're doing it, just start rambling on I know I know I find myself doing when I'm doing mundane things that are just almost like subconsciously I can manage or like when you're driving or whatever yeah I find myself recording 
um, stories or ideas because I can't write them down or I can't draw right. them out. So I, I've got tons and tons of recordings, even so far as back as back in the uh, late 90s and early aughts when I was going to college. Yeah. Um, I've got tons of, of little mini cassettes of just recording ideas. Oh, sure. Like just hours and hours. Oh, that's cool. Uh, um, so... Um, what else do I have? I do have, a, I had an idea for a painting based on the Shikonopa, which is um, a possum story about how the buzzard tricked this community of rabbits into, they convinced him that he was an Indian doctor, and he went in and pretended to doctor rabbits so he could eat him up. And I have this really, uh, I have some ideas, but I almost feel like it needs to be uh, either, it needs to be a graphic yeah, something like a, uh, either a children's book, even though it's very macabre, or a graphic novel. So I've been doing some sketches, uh, you know, along that, as well as I have an idea for a really large scale painting. Um, I'm also proposing, um, you know, Louis Gong. He's the, he's a Northwest Coast artist. He's like Chinese and uh, uh, New Chal or something like this. At any rate, it's eighth generation. I think eighthgeneration.com. Yes, you should check yes, them out. Yes, I, I, I am familiar with them. So they have this sort of indigenous alternative to Pendleton, and where artists can submit ideas for yeah. blankets. And it's a native-owned company. And uh, I approached him last year about doing something textual. It would still be visual, but something using the language yeah. from one of our oldest um, documented sources of Chickasaw. I don't really work with text, so, um, but I have some ideas. I think that might be kind of cool. Might be interesting to do with some brush play, you know, doing the calligraphy and yeah. then having like the subject matter right in front of it. So almost like you're doing a repeating pattern, but it just be, you know, yeah. the text and then have like a solid, whether it be like the duck or whatever is yeah. like the center in full color, but that kind of yellowed paper kind of texture. Yeah. That would be really slick. Where you almost get kind of like a uh, tessellation is the wrong word, but this tessellation effect where you have this beautiful, you know, almost um, calligraphy kind of penmanship or whatever I don't know I have lots of ideas but and, and you have we'll wonderful see. calligraphy penmanship yourself I, I, I do I, write I do write a lot I, I really enjoy looking at your yeah. notebooks I mean that alone could did you see uh, they released a, a font for your computer and it's David Bowie's handwriting and Kurt Cobain's handwriting are you serious yes you can download their oh, handwriting cool. fonts wow so and sometime if you have the time I'll show you how to make your own fonts based on your lettering you know, that would requiring be vectoring your, your writing out everything yeah. but it's it's not as hard as you would think. I mean, that would be really cool. Just be able to type, and then it ends up looking like you know the way I I handwrite. I had terrible penmanship um, in elementary school and high school. Anyway, one of my advisors on my dissertation, she saw the amount of notes I was taking, um, largely just print stuff, but it was all on, it was like garbage paper. And she said, "Look, if you're going to be doing this, you got to realize like this is a legacy thing. So you need to do it on acid-free paper with indelible ink or pencil." So make sure that in 200 years your stuff's still around. So I totally switched. I got fountain pens with this bulletproof ink that Noodler's ink makes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's completely indestructible. Like you can destroy the paint, I mean, the uh, the paper before you get the ink to come off. Wow. So I started working on my handwriting. So I was like, well, I want, <laughs> I want in 200 years I want him to say, wow, he had such beautiful penmanship. It's so, uh, it's so vain, it's so vain, glorious, but whatever. Yeah. Um, what do you? What do you hope for the future in the next 20 years, based on what you're doing today? Yeah. What, do you, what do you want to see in the future uh, and how it relates to what you do today? Well, I really, 
I mean, we've really done um, some amazing things, not only in language revitalization, but also in the visual arts and the performing arts with the tribe. So, I mean, if I had my druthers, I'd really like to see in 20 years, you know, when, I don't know, I'll be approaching retirement age, probably not, but anyway, <laughs> it'd be really great to see, um, you know, a younger group of, of Chickasaws kind of take up the reins of language and, and push it even further on the visual side, I just, I don't know, I feel like we've got some momentum. Um, you know, why can't we, not just with Chickasaw, but other Oklahoma artists, like why can't we accomplish in Oklahoma what now we almost have to go to Santa Fe for? You know yeah. what I mean? Like we, we should, our art should be more esteemed. It should be, we should be fairly compensated. We should be able to um, make a living you know, and have really compelling shows here in the state. I'd like to see that. I don't know. I think it'd be cool to have, like, some other oaky carvers, like, you know, develop a regional style or something. That might be kind of fun. I think you're kind of crafting in this new direction yeah. with the, with your own um, crafts, as you, yeah. as you as you call it, um, making an own your own distinct style that I think that, as, as Jared Tate would say, you know, people are going to write about what you're doing today, and in a couple of generations, we're going to say that's what real chick it means to be a real Chickasaw artist of whatever discipline yeah. they're going at, and like Cull- like Cullahoma style. Yeah. I mean, that's a Cullahoma style decoy because the wing patch or whatever. Exactly. I don't know. I, I, that's really where we hunt. We we gun over all these decoys that make it Cullahoma, so or Cullahoma if you want to say it right. Um, anyway. Do you do commissions? Can how do people reach you? How can they yeah. see your work? Yeah, um, so um, at lakosh.com, it's pretty basic. I mean, it's a landing page, and then there's some images. Um, I'm I'm expanding it so you can see all kinds of my creative production. You know, journaling, drawing, painting, decoy making. I'm trying not to. I thought about creating a decoy specific website, but I don't really want to produce decoys like for sale necessarily mm-hmm. but nor do I want to ghettoize them and, and like it's like well this is my decoy work and then this is my Indian stuff if, if I'm the guy and I'm a maker I can have whatever I want on my website so Absolutely. anyway you go there it's not great but it is what it is you can see some pictures and then on Instagram um, it's at Lokosh just L-O-K-O-S-H and you can see all my hunting and visual making shenanigans and what I eat or whatever and you got a lot of uh, of your your waterfowl um, sculpture stuff along with um, yeah. your actual results from using your 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 products. Yeah, if you're not into like smiling photos of big white Indians holding dead ducks, don't don't come to look, don't look me up on Instagram. Um, yeah, I really I love Instagram because um, I mean it's nice to share like my passion for what I do. I'm not really on there to get likes or whatever. It's, I don't know, I guess it's kind of a marketing thing in, in part, depending on how you approach it. But I just really consider it more like a visual diary. It, yeah. I get a great deal of pleasure from going back and looking at, man, I forgot I made that painting. Or, oh, that was a that was a really good day. I remember what happened when we called and they all came in, whatever, stuff like that. Um, I'm on Twitter, but it's mostly just a repost yeah, you know, from from Instagram, um, and, th- and that's pretty much mine as well. I yeah, I, I find myself when I go on Twitter getting sucked into the uh, 
the political storm that surrounds us. So I, I, I as of late, yeah. I've been trying to just stay off of it as much as possible and just repost. Yeah, totally. It just makes me so unhappy. A little bit on Facebook too, but um. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta man up and just start doing Facebook on a regular, consistent basis. I, there's just so much ill will uh, against people on. Uh, you know, I saw a post recently where it says, you know, everyone's trying to be funny, and no one's trying to listen to each other. And yeah. because of that, we're all, all we're doing is shouting. Yeah. And there's so little, honestly, that, I mean, there's, other than personal experiences where you run into somebody who, who disagrees or lives or looks or whatever, different from what you are, um, I mean, what can you really accomplish? Yeah. Like, you can be all strident and Facebook political, but you're just preaching to the choir, so... I don't know. I if there's a lot of compelling things where I feel like I have something to say and I'll post it. For, but again, for the most part, I'm kind of like I keep up with friends at a distance, or I repost my Instagram stuff onto Facebook. Um, but I don't know. I just think there's a lot of unhappiness and garbage shenanigans and hating on people, and I don't know. I just try to reach out, and I don't know. Love folks. That, I mean, that's an interesting position as an indigenous person, but also as an avid outdoorsman. It's, yeah. all, it's like you're schizophrenic. Yeah. Because all, I shouldn't say all, but many of my decoy carving friends and the avid outdoorsmen are like strident, dyed-in-the-wool Trumpsters. And I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm sort of morally conservative, but politically, like, I'm really super liberal. Yeah. Um, so like the Dems want to take my shotgun away from me and the Republicans want to take my land. So who do you vote for? <laughs> anyway, that's that's an aside, but yeah, it's whatever. I just want to make some stuff and and enjoy life with everybody, you know. It'll be it'll be all right. Well, Josh, uh, we'll <laughs> end it on this note. I really do appreciate you coming in, my man. For sure. And uh, I hope to have you back and we can discuss further things whatever's going on. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you, man. Thank you, Josh, for that interview tonight. It was great. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I appreciate all of you tuning in and spending some time with us. And uh, until we meet again, Chapisa Lecho. Bye.